Since Shah's gone, I'm going to tell the story about Shah today. Uh, <laughs> hopefully she won't listen to the uh, website afterwards. About, uh, yeah, 20-something years ago, Shah and I bought our first house together down in Wellington. And uh, I was school teaching then. And um, I think it was summer and uh, it must have been school holidays because I was home but Shah was at work and my brother from Taranaki, my elder brother, he came down to help us uh, clear up the house a bit. And so we were clearing up the, uh, the trees, we were trimming the trees and he made the helpful suggestion that why don't we just chop them all down, which at the time... I thought it was a good idea. When Shah got off the bus from work, um, realised quickly it wasn't a good idea. In fact, she, she was so angry, she couldn't talk to me for a while. And then did she talk to me. <laughs> uh, but what goes around comes around. A few, about three years ago, we were at my brother's place in Taranaki, and we were helping clear up his yard, and Shah got the sick of tears to, prove, uh, to prune his orange tree, and man, did she prune it, there's, um, there's no revenge like revenge pruning, and um, there was no fruit the next year at all, we thought she'd killed it, uh, but she hadn't, it's, it's still alive, so this is about... Um, it's about what people thought the Messiah was going to be like. And uh, they thought that the Messiah, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, they thought the Messiah would come and do some revenge pruning. That uh, the way that the Jewish people had been oppressed by the Romans, um, the tables would turn when the Messiah came. And when Jesus came and was not like that, they had to um, do an incredible change in their thinking. So we're going to read that, Luke chapter 9, verse 18 to 27. So these first three weeks as we get going as a church, just want us to, to concentrate on Jesus, the who of Jesus. We looked at John 4 last week. Um, I think that's on the web. And um, we're going to look at Luke 9, 18 to 27. Luke 9, 18 to 27. Verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked him, who do the crowds say I am? In fact, earlier than that, in the same chapter, Herod asked the same question. He said, who is this? And um, later on in the chapter, uh, God speaks and says, this is my son. So really, it's this chapter about who is Jesus? And Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say I am? Verse 19, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago that has came back to life. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God, the Messiah. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them, 
not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. We ask, Lord Jesus, that as we um, unpack your word today, that you would speak to us. You would speak to us by your Holy Spirit today. So this is also in um, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew. In Mark, it's in chapter 8. And chap uh, chapter 8 is right bang smack in the middle of Mark. The scholars believe that uh, Mark was the first gospel, and in um, Matthew's gospel, it's chapter 16. And so the question is, who are people saying that Jesus is? The answer, John the Baptist, Elijah, or maybe another of the prophets. So they thought that Jesus, in general, was a deceased prophet returned to life with superhuman powers. But the question is, who do you say I am? Ho, who am I? And Peter, as often is the case in the gospel, he's a mouthpiece for the disciples. Verse 20, you are the Christ, which means the Messiah, the rescuer. Ko te koraiti and then verse 21, he says, but don't tell anyone. And then Jesus designates himself with another term. He calls himself the Son of Man, verses 22 and 26. And the Son of Man, that comes from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 talks of um, the dreams and visions of Daniel in the strange cosmic battle with beasts in a battle of great suffering for a time of the saints. Why? Why did Jesus not let on uh, in his earthly ministry that he actually was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the one that, that people had been waiting for? Because of this, because the people just had this idea in their heads of what that Messiah would look like, what that Messiah would be like. And they thought that the Messiah would be a revenge pruner, that he would come and turn the tables, and that they would uh, return to the Romans that pain that they had been oppressed with. But actually, that was not what God's plan was for them. That they would not, they would not be the ones, that Jesus would not be the one that would give pain, but actually that he would receive pain. They would receive pain. Peter had the right name, the Messiah, but the wrong concept of what that meant. They'd colored it in with the wrong colors. Pain. So there was, 
We're going to talk about concepts, two concepts, two expectations, two expectations of what Jesus expects of us. And one expectation is this, that we will receive pain. If we follow Jesus, we will receive pain. We won't inflict pain, but that we will receive pain if we follow Jesus. Verse 22, that Jesus would be rejected by the elders. Uh, as a 12-year-old, remember, Jesus had actually sat with the elders, had these incredible religious discussions, and they loved him, and he loved them. But maybe only 20 years later, these same people, maybe even the very same people, but that same group of people, they hated him and, and were inflicting pain upon him. Verse 22, would suffer and be rejected and killed. And verse 20, the cross, the cross. And that pain would not just be for Jesus, but for his followers. He promised that. John 15, Jesus said, you know, if they hate you, Remember that they hated me first. You'll receive what I have received. At primary school, Titahi Bay North, I remember I think it was a sports day, one of the school bullies was Raymond Mallard. And uh, uh, he punched my brother in the nose. So I went up to Raymond Mallard and said, you punched my brother in the nose. And he punched me in the nose. <laughs> You know, that's what Jesus said. If they hate you, it's because they hated me. And if he is in you, they'll hate you. We are to expect pain. Jesus promised it. Not that we will give pain, but they do expect, he did expect that we also would receive pain at times. He says this, take up your cross daily. So this is a figurative language. You know, you, you can't. A cross meant you would die. But you can't die and die and die again. But there would be ongoing pain. It, it speaks of surrendering ourselves. Surrendering ourselves. And uh, even a cross was too heavy to carry. What they, what they did, they'd often the, those that were going to be crucified would carry the crossbar on their backs. You see that person you knew there was a dead man walking. They were about to die. They would take the crossbar to their place of execution, it would be attached, and then they would die on that cross. But Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. It's not a once-off decision. It's a daily decision. We will follow Jesus today. Tomorrow, same decision. We will follow you today, even if it means pain, self-denial becomes a way of life, daily, denying oneself. Because if we try and save our lives, we will lose our lives, Jesus said. The temptation of Satan to Jesus, right at the start. Uh, Gospel of Luke. And Satan says, I'll give you all this if you just worship me. I'll give you all this power. If you just worship me. And Jesus says, no, no, I must lose myself to save. And we too, we have that choice. We must choose to lose ourselves to find ourselves. Verse 24. 
You know, I discovered this personally at the age of 18 after chasing pleasure. That when you chase pleasure, hedonism it's called, you actually, you don't find life. You lose yourself. But if you lose yourself, when I um, decided to follow Jesus, wow, this is amazing. What a great life this is. When we lose ourselves, we find ourselves. It's like night and day, it was that, the joy of serving the Lord, not trapped by our own desires, not trapped by being self-absorbed. You know, in a, in a corporate way, we can do that. And that's why we're, hopefully, our friends are coming today. That's why you're going to get kicked out from my place soon after five. And our, our friends are coming to stay at the back in our sleep out. And John and Sarah Phillips, they want to help replant St. David's there. We're hoping that we will lose some of you and uh, you will form, help form a team to repot that church. Because as we give, as we lose ourselves, we find ourselves. If we try and trap what we have, what God has given, it, it doesn't work. So number one expectation Jesus had that for his followers, there would, they were to expect pain. There would be pain, different types of pain. People will not like you, not because you are yuck, but because of Jesus in you. Just, that's, that's the way it is. But there was a second expectation. And in a lot of the first one, it's almost strange. Jesus expected that we were to have pride in him. Jesus expected that his followers were to retain a pride in him. They would receive pain, but they were to have pride in him. And this would be for uh, first century people, but also for us. It would be easier if he was a successful warrior prince messiah. Not someone who hung on a cross. But verse 26, Jesus says, Don't be ashamed of Jesus and his word. You're not to be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. We are to have pride in him. Our pride is to be only in our allegiance to Jesus. And there's a freedom, is it? There's a freedom in this. C.S. Lewis said this uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, I think, um, that often our pride is not in so much uh, what we have and what we do, but that in our comparison to others. So not that I have a great car, but my car is better than them and them. And not that I receive this uh, mark in my exam, but it's better than John and Sally and Sue. And so often our pride is, not, is, is a comparison sort of pride. But our, our pride, and this is an interesting thing, our pride, the unique thing of, of following Jesus is we get the verdict before the performance. We get the verdict before the performance. We are declared not guilty by belief and allegiance to Jesus alone. We get that even before the performance. We don't have to strive to get it. But Jesus declares us not guilty right at the start. And then our response to that is because of what he's done, not the other way around. That's unique. We perform, and then we get 
uh, all other human endeavors, other way around. We perform, and then we get the verdict. But with Jesus, he declares us not guilty right at the start. Madonna, the pop star Madonna, said this, My fear in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always punishing me, pushing me. I push past one spell of it and then discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. She says, my fear in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. But as followers of Jesus, we don't have that because he declares us not guilty. We get the verdict right at the start. Amen? But so much freedom in finding pride in Jesus, not ourselves. Not only this, there's also a future, an eternal future. You know, there's no future in trying to be the best, trying to be better than so-and-so. There's only an eternal future in Jesus. Verse 26 and 27. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. If, if someone is proud of being in Jesus when he returns, Jesus will be proud of them. When he comes in his glory, they will not taste death. It's summed up in a beautiful uh, East Coast saying from, from many years ago. Um, those that know your history, in the, in the uh, late 20s, uh, a Christian revival began, 1820s that is, a Christian revival began in the far north amongst the Ngāpui after probably a decade and a half where the, the gospel had been preached and there'd been no response. I remember reading a missionary diary from that time and he thought um, it was going to be like Muslim lands. There'd be no response amongst the Māori people. But then um, things started to change, and there was a response. Ngāpui started to come to the Lord, and they, would, um, they were releasing their slaves from other tribes that they had conquered. And um, some of the former East Coast slaves, they came back. And there was uh, one of the guys that was called Piripi Taumata Akura. And he came back. The missionaries actually didn't think very much of him. Um, but he was powerfully used of God, and he, he uh, preached, and he led the people, and they um, an incredible time on the East Coast here, from and a great revival. People would walk for days to get Bibles. And there's an old East Coast saying, Don Tamihere um, said it to us a few years ago. He says, um, this is it, Nā te āriki, te atu o prupi taumata akura, tenei waere, Atahua, nate ariki, tato o purupi tamata akura, tenei waire atahua. So, nate ariki. Ariki is a word that means um, it's like a highborn chief. Sometimes it's the firstborn son of a highborn chief. And it's the word the translators used for Jesus. The firstborn of a highborn chief. Nate ariki, from the Lord. Um, the God of Purupi Tomata Akura, that the, the, the one that had been released from um, Ngāpui, come down and help the people, led them. From, it's from the Lord, the God 
of Purupitamata Akura. Tenei waire. Waire is an old word for karakia, like religion or faith. Tenei waire atahua. This faith that is beautiful. It's not an ugly faith. This faith, this following Jesus, it's a beautiful faith. Tenei waire atahua. Nā te āriki te atua pūrupitauma tākura, tēnei waire atahua. Jesus expects us to have pride in him, not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, kāhori o kitorongapa, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's a power of God for all who believe. Sure, there's going to be pain, but also we are to have pride. Amen. Let's, we're going to carry on. We're going to fix our eyes. Thank you, Courtney and team. We're going to fix our eyes again on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. And um, thank you for giving our heads up. At times there will be pain. At times there will be pain. And we're going to pray after we finish our worship today. And whether you got problems with pain or you got problems with uh, pride that you want to stand for Jesus, we'll pray, pray, we'll pray for that personally with you. But we thank you, Lord, you've given us the heads up about pain. And um, we want to say that we love you and we do want to stand for you, even when people hate you and dislike us because of you that we want to stand for you, and we ask for your help today. We want to fix our eyes again on you today. Amen. Mm.